Hi there, and welcome to the Legal Marketing 2.0 podcast, where we examine the latest trends in digital marketing to help you get more leads and clients. I'm Tim Barron, and this podcast is brought to you by the team at Good to Be Social, a digital marketing agency for lawyers and law firms. In today's episode, our founder, Guy Alvarez, chats with Dr. Heidi Gardner, Harvard Law professor and author of acclaimed books on leadership for lawyers and smart collaboration among lawyers. And these topics inform the discussion, particularly on collaboration based on research and data. All right, on with the show with Dr. Gardner and Guy. Hello, and welcome to the Legal Marketing 2.0 show. I'm your host, Guy Alvarez, and today we're very excited to have Dr. Heidi Gardner on the show. Heidi is a distinguished fellow at the Center of Legal Profession at Harvard Law School, and she also serves as a lecturer on law and the faculty chair of the school's Accelerated Leadership Program executive course. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gardner. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. It is a pleasure. So we have been aware of what you're writing about and what you're focused now for quite a few years. My background prior to founding Good to Be Social, I was actually part of the knowledge management group at KPMG. So collaboration and knowledge sharing has been at the heart of some of the work that I've done. So I've been very interested to see your writings and what you're talking about with regards to collaboration, specifically in the legal industry. Tell me a little bit, how did you get interested in this topic? And, you know, how did you you go about figuring out, you know, what the concept of smart collaboration is all about? Well, this has been a journey of more than a decade. So I won't take you through step by step, but uh, let me give you a couple of the highlights. The initial research question occurred to me when I was living it, not studying it. I was a consultant at McKinsey and Company, and I spent half a decade there at various offices, uh, London, New York, Johannesburg. And what I observed in the teamwork we did at McKinsey was that some teams operated better than others. And it was incredible to me that we had amazing experts on every team. You know, sometimes we had astrophysicists and professional musicians and former military people and you know, all combining their expertise. And in some teams, that resulted in innovative, um, really cutting edge, phenomenal work. And to be honest, other times it was solid work, but a little bit ho-hum. And we were so busy solving other people's problems that we didn't spend as much time trying to figure out what the difference between those teams were. But it really intrigued me. And when I decided to leave consulting and go back to academia, I pursued a PhD on that topic. Why are seeing teams better than others at using their members' expertise to its fullest? And I ended up writing a dissertation on that topic. I studied a number of professional service firms and hundreds and hundreds of consultants and accountants and lawyers and so forth for my dissertation and saw a pattern repeating oftentimes, that we had phenomenal, diverse kinds of expertise available to a team. And sometimes they used it and sometimes they didn't. So fast forward to the time when I was teaching at Harvard Business School. I was on the faculty there for a number of years. And I was teaching an executive program and talking about some of those findings. And afterward, one of the participants approached me. We got into a phenomenal discussion about how project teams are 
incredibly valuable in professional service firms. But he said, you know, what really keeps me awake at night is trying to figure out not just how to get those project teams to work better, but how to get the top of each of those teams, you know, the partners to work together. And I thought, well, let me look that up. I'd be happy to send you the information, whatever I find on it. And I actually couldn't find research that answered that question. And that's how I hit on this idea. And I just started pursuing it more and more deeply. And I took a, an iterative approach to this. I would go out, I would collect data, I would analyze it with a whole research team. I would present kind of early findings in whether it was the Harvard classroom or private work I was doing with clients and just continually ask people, what does this mean? How would you interpret it? What else are we missing? And a decade later, we ended up with this book called Smart Collaboration, How Professionals in Their Firms Succeed by Breaking Down Silos. And it's been an incredible collaborative effort in and of itself. That, that is fascinating. So lawyers are not necessarily known as the types of professionals that like to collaborate and like to share. So in your work, what have you found vis-a-vis lawyers and why do you think they're so against collaboration initially? And you know, how can law firms overcome that to get lawyers and partners at large firms to collaborate more effectively? <laughs> Well, I wouldn't say that all lawyers are reluctant to collaborate. I think there are some people out there who are tremendously good at this and have been for quite some time. But I think we should also acknowledge that there are a lot of quite senior legal professionals, lawyers and partners in private practice who have been successful over decades operating in a different way. And so the question really becomes, is collaboration necessary or is the environment today different in some way that collaboration has become more important? And with my research team, I think we've uncovered the answer that says, yes, collaboration is more important today than it was yesterday. And if we're right, if the trends we've identified that are pushing collaboration into the realm of necessity rather than nice to have, if we're right and those trends accelerate, then collaboration is going to be more important tomorrow than it is today. Interesting. And, you know, one of the interesting things that you, you mentioned in your book is that, in fact, lawyers that do collaborate a lot of times uh, are better at business development and can reap additional financial rewards that lawyers that do not engage in collaboration. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and why you think that is? Our data shows that lawyers who collaborate, in other words, those who work across organizational boundaries and tap into their colleagues' expertise, are significantly more successful at business development. And there are a few reasons for this. First of all, the world's problems are becoming increasingly complex, which means that every in-house counsel's problems are becoming increasingly complex. In our research, we identified this as one of the, the compelling trends that's pushing collaboration to the forefront, the complicated nature, complexity of the problems that organizations are facing these days. They're not just internal business problems, they're societal problems, and they're woven together in ways that really demand different kinds of experts to combine their knowledge bases and generate solutions that are more holistic and more innovative and more customized than what we've potentially needed in the past. You know, those, those kinds of issues range from the uncertainty regarding so many kinds of regulatory and compliance issues and in a world that's so volatile politically these days to cybersecurity, which is, you know, seems to be changing every day with the threat increasing and the talent market and all sorts of talent related issues these days, you know, whether it's the pipeline or diversity or all sorts of issues, you know, all of these complex issues 
mean that we need lawyers to team up across what had been traditional boundaries and integrate their expertise to solve these complicated problems. I mean, let me touch briefly on that second trend, which is specialization. You know, every lawyer today is probably more specialized than they were a decade ago. Why? Well, the knowledge that they're trying to stay on top of is also changing incredibly rapidly. And so people are becoming deep, deep, deep experts and by necessity, narrowing their focus. So you put those two trends together, the highly complicated problems and the deep, narrow experts. That's the argument for why collaboration is so important. So coming back to your initial question, why are lawyers who collaborate across different organizational boundaries more successful at business development? It's because they have the opportunity to spot more sophisticated issues that their clients are facing. And when they team up with their counterparts, whether it's inside the firm or elsewhere, and are able to provide a seamless solution, more holistic, more customized, that is a differentiator in today's legal market. And that's why they're more successful at generating business. That makes a lot of sense. So if a law firm is looking to effectively implement smart collaboration, what are the client development benefits can the firm expect? And how long into the implementation process would those benefits start to show up? Well, in our data, you know, again, I I take a very hard empirical approach to this. I think it's very helpful to have evidence to help us understand what kinds of benefits to expect. And we've collected millions of data records across many, many different kinds of firms, law firms and other kinds of professional service firms to, uh, to analyze empirically what some of these outcomes are. So, you know, I can say with confidence that the kinds of benefits that a law firm can expect from implementing smart collaboration are financial in terms of both increased revenues and increased profits. Um, and strategic. Uh, so we see collaboration, at least in today's world, is still being a differentiator. I do a lot of research with clients as well, and they tell me that it's frankly hard to find a law firm that provides smart collaboration exactly when it's needed and not when it isn't, which is a, mm-hmm. a pretty critical point as well. I mean, there's a big difference between smart collaboration and simply over-lawyering a project, and right. uh, clients sure. can see the difference. So firms that do it well and very strategically will, will generate benefits like client stickiness as well. We can show in our data that clients are far stickier. In other words, they will, they will stay with a, a firm even when a, a key partner departs if that relationship has become institutionalized. If more than one partner is serving the client, then the risk of client flight along with a partner diminishes significantly. It makes a lot of sense, but we can show it in our data. And frankly, with talent mobility being what it is these days, an important angle for firms to think about when they're considering whether or not or how much to invest in trying to implement smart collaboration. That makes so much sense. And, you know, as you mentioned, it, it, you know, the competition for legal services is continuously increasing. And I think law firms are looking for anything to gain a competitive edge and, and, you know, win the client war. Um, why do you think firms haven't embraced the concept of collaboration and, and smart collaboration more fully? Well, frankly, it's hard to do. I'll be the first one to admit that collaboration is not a simple solution and it's not a panacea. And firms, I think, partly are 
reluctant to make significant shifts or ask their partners to make significant shifts when they're doing reasonably well already. It's hard to create the burning platform in the sense of urgency when profits are increasing at, at some firms and clients are still buying in the same way. That said, given the intensity of the competition in the legal market, firms that are embracing this are starting to see some real advantages. I think coming back to a question you asked earlier, which is when can firms start to see some of the benefits flow in? That's actually partly the answer to this question. Collaboration requires an investment. All of the kinds of benefits that we can identify, whether they're strategic or financial or talent-related, they take time to accrue. They don't happen instantly as soon as you put a effort behind collaboration. That said, most of the risks and costs are occurred right up front. So think about any given partner. If they've been operating more or less solo, you know, nobody operates solo. They probably have a, a team of associates they work with and they'll call up a, a colleague if their client asks for it. But I'm talking about people who are truly collaborative and reaching across boundaries. For people like that, we see that collaboration is already generating positive returns. For the one who's operating solo or more or less solo, they've got to put an investment into building relationships, into understanding the specialized jargon of their colleagues. They've got to invest in learning some of the collaborative techniques and possibly technology. All of those costs and risks are borne right up front when they start collaborating. And they've got to have personal patience and faith that those efforts will pay off and there's got to be institutional patience as well. You know, yeah. while somebody is expected to bill 2,000 plus hours and do all sorts of non-billable work and put the effort into establishing smart collaboration routines and processes and networks and so forth, that's, that's a big ask. And, yeah. you know, and I think that that's partly why firms are reluctant to push partners in this direction because they know it requires an investment. So you mentioned technology, and obviously that's near and dear to my heart. And when I was at KPMG, we, we made a big investment in technology, creating a, a knowledge sharing portal to enhance collaboration. You know, what have you seen in terms of firms that are using the technology? Are they deploying it firm-wide? Are they deploying it within teams? Give us a little bit of insights on what you've seen from a technology perspective. Technology is a pretty broad brush, right? So there's lots of different kinds of technology associated with smart collaboration that we could talk about. I think it's important to pause for a minute and just acknowledge that technology is not a silver bullet, right? Technology is simply, an, yeah, yep. you know, it's just an enabler to, to help people collaborate more efficiently, perhaps more effectively. And co collaboration isn't an end in itself either. It's simply a means to generate better client relationships and better outcomes. Absolutely. And so, you know, as we're thinking about technology, you know, we can be specific about different kinds of technology. There's the the knowledge sharing type technology that you just referenced, I think that's hard to implement sometimes in the sense that it's hard to keep it fresh and the system's only as good as the, the content it contains. What I've seen some firms do is take a new approach to thinking about what goes into a knowledge management system like that. They're mm -hmm. using you know, more updated technology. They're asking people to do selfie videos as a, a quick way to update what's happening in a client situation. And you know, those get much better uptake than, you know, a boring memo that's been posted there. So firms are using yep. some technology like that to share knowledge about either the content of the law or 
the, uh, uh, you know, the, the client relationships. Yeah, there are other kinds of technology that I think are really promising. There's technology that um, I write a little bit about in the book that is helping firms do a much better job of strategic planning. And when, when lawyers are engaged in a true strategic planning process, you know, not the one-off event where they pull out a piece of paper, write down a few objectives that were probably, you know, stale from last year already and stuff it in a drawer for the next year. That's not exactly a well-managed strategic planning process, but there's technology that can really help to bring that strategic planning alive and keep it alive throughout the year. And I'm a big fan of technologies like that. They force people to think very carefully about how they're going to prioritize their time, where they're going to make the investments in smart collaboration. And then they have ways of helping to make those objectives transparent to other people in the law firm so that you're not duplicating efforts so that sparks uh, some idea generation and some opportunities for collaborating on real client initiatives. I think that kind of technology is really ripe at this point. And it's surprising how few law firms have taken up that kind of technology and integrated into a much more sophisticated planning process. I completely agree. And I haven't seen a lot of law firms that are making use of that type of technology and really plan the year from a business development or operational perspective in a much more strategic way. So I completely agree with that. Dr. Garner, tell us, what do you think are the biggest obstacles that law firms and lawyers face in practicing smart collaboration and thereby achieving the benefits in client service and business development that you've outlined? Well, I, I'm not going to guess at this one. I'll tell you what our data says because we had the good fortune of surveying a couple of thousand partners across a whole range of professional services, lots of law firms in particular. And you know, basically every time I went in to give a keynote speech at a partner retreat or engage with a firm in one way or another, we had the opportunity to collect that data from the partners. And so we're still doing that. We're keeping it up to date. And what our data tells us, what the lawyers are telling us is the biggest obstacle most frequently mentioned is actually quite an easy one to tackle in some ways. It's, it builds directly on what we were just talking about in terms of knowing what the firm offers. We find that in a lot of yeah. firms, it's hard for lawyers to keep track of all of the different services that their colleagues are providing. And linking to the trend that we talked about earlier, specialization, the more specialized mm -hmm. my expertise becomes, the harder it is for other people to understand how I really add value to a client engagement. And so knowledge of other people's expertise, how I could really use it in my client, who's the right person in my client to be talking about, that kind of knowledge gap is really prevalent in today's law firms. And it's not surprising. I mean, given the consolidation we've seen in firms, you know, there's a lot of merger activity. And, you know, when firms are expanding their scope and their geographic positions, it's just hard for people to keep up with everything that the firm offers. I think another kind of barrier, if I may expand on this a little bit, is also probably an outgrowth of that, uh, the growth in the size of law firms is a trust barrier. And we see that trust comes in sort of two flavors that both affect somebody's willingness to collaborate with their colleagues. The first is what we call competence trust. In other words, I'm not going to bring somebody into my treasured client relationship if I'm not absolutely confident that they have the capability and the skills to serve that client in a truly excellent way. And you know, by excellence, we mean not only their technical competence, but also their professional competence. 
how responsive are they, and do they treat the client well enough, and those sorts of things. So competence trust or, or lack of it is what really stands in the way of collaboration. And if we haven't had exposure to other people or there's no good way to credential them internally, sometimes it's you know, hard to know whether we can trust their abilities or not. And the second mm-hmm. flavor of trust is, is slightly different. The second flavor of trust is much more sort of interpersonal trust. In other words, I might think you're the greatest expert in the world, but if I think you're a jerk who's going to steal credit from me or undermine my relationship with my clients, there's no way I'm yeah. bringing you into that relationship. And so right. you know, that, that level of, of interpersonal trust is completely separate from the competence trust, but they both are necessary in order to compel somebody to open up a treasured client relationship. And so if there is widespread knowledge of what services we offer and who's good at this and how much I can trust them, collaboration flows a lot more easily in a law firm, but it's hard to achieve. Trust is hard. Absolutely. And you're right with so many lawyers switching firms and even full practice groups being acquired. A, to learn about what other lawyers are doing within your firm, to be able to trust them to not only be competent, as you said, but also from a communications and a a people skills perspective. And then for them not to make you look bad or to see your clients. I mean, I think those are very, very important issues and definitely some some obstacles to collaboration. All right. So unfortunately, we have run out of time. But before we go, I wanted to ask you, are there any key takeaways you'd like to leave with our listeners? Any advice for someone who's looking to enhance the collaboration at their firm? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just a a couple of ideas, if we can wrap up with those. For anyone who's interested in pursuing smart collaboration in their firm, I think first they need to educate themselves about the state of play currently. Our book is full of different kinds of analyses that we do, and almost all of them are generated with data that already exists inside law firms. So I strongly encourage people to dig into their own numbers and take a look at where there are real pockets of excellence. So which clients are being served broadly, you know, across practice groups, across jurisdictions, and what can a firm learn from those sort of shining examples? And conversely, where are the pockets where the clients are really at risk because they're served by a single individual who's put up walls to that relationship? That pretty important way to get started is understanding what's the current state of play. To build on that, I think it's also really inspirational to be able to say, hey, look how much revenue we're generating, clients that we serve with two, three, four, six practice groups, look how much revenue increases as we increase our breadth of service to them. Or look how much profitability if firms have good data on profits. It's even more compelling. You know, How much more do we get out of clients when we serve them in a collaborative fashion? And then when you put those two analyses together, where are we currently and what's the potential upside? It's incredibly inspiring for people because they realize not just what's in it for the firm, but what's in it for me. How do I become a business developer who can leverage not just my own time and expertise, but that of my colleagues across the firm in order to do more intellectually stimulating, more rewarding, more challenging kinds of work for clients who absolutely value this. That's the, the takeaway I'd leave for people. That, that's fabulous. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and we look forward to having you back on the show sometime in the near future. Before you go, I want to ask you a question. Do you struggle with digital marketing and how to make it work for you and for your firm? If so, please go to lawfirmmarketinghelp.com and sign up for a free digital audit. The audit will provide you with all of the information you need to build a blueprint for your digital marketing strategy to produce the results you want. If you like this episode, 
please subscribe to our podcast, and we'd love it if you also left a review. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find the show notes for this episode, along with all of the Legal Marketing 2.0 episodes at goodtobesocial.com. Thanks for listening.